Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the No Hope, no, to No Hope, the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm Patrick Bradley, and here with Adam Steele. Hello. Hey, what's up? How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. good. Ready to chat about uh, many and sundry yeah, uh, yeah, craziness. Yeah. Um, oh, the all-important episode number is it's 59, and I did a video um, vlog. I don't, I don't know. I think a vlog means something specific, and I don't think it's what I'm doing. Like it, I think yeah. I'm just making a video. I don't, I don't really know. It's just a <laughs> generic video. But there is a new one up, uh, and I never put it out on the podcast. So exclusive video-only content. Um, you should go wet your whistle on YouTube. No hope the podcast. I talk about um, the 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 uh, so-called boogaloo movement, and uh, I I I kind of punk out that idea that it's really anything but I, militia people that are just some of them wear Hawaiian shirts now. I I just. <laughs> I don't I don't think that there's any new ideology. I, I made the comparison okay. to the Eagles 2017 Super Bowl run. At some point, they they suffered so many injuries that they were even though they were the top seed in the playoffs, they were the underdog in every single playoff game, including the Super Bowl, and they won all of them. So they took on this underdog persona and they uh one of the players actually had like a rubber dog mask and then so he wore it like after a game on time or something and then you know fans started wearing and it was the whole thing and i was saying that's essentially what i see the hawaiian shirts are like there wasn't a new movement of Mm -hmm. dog mask eagles (laughs) supporters they were the same ones just some of them were wearing you know, dog mass. Cool new shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's, uh, um, you know, that's it. But I did wear my uh, Hawaiian shirt, and I had a little tactical gear on. So you know, there's I did a little oh, little damn. show. Yeah, yeah. So like, I didn't get enough trouble in my other one. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get canceled once. Once. Once we really pick up traction. Um. Yeah, of course. Dunzo. But then, then you could go to the Patreon and yeah. uh, you know. <laughs> yep. We're unstoppable. Um, Until you get kicked off a of Patreon. Uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll keep figuring out. I mean, some people are. That's that guy, uh, Ryan Dawson. I, I'm not sure if you follow him, but that guy is, I mean, he's kicked off of everything. Everything is demonetized. But, uh, and he taught, he was actually, he was talking about when the Patreon went. And he was saying he was basic, he was in basically his last month. Like, he was like, I, I almost was done. Like I, he's like, I mean, I have kids. He's like, I, I have to, I almost just had to stop and just get a regular job and would be no more of like the, the, uh, what does he call it? The ant, the anti neocon report. That's his, he's been doing it a while. So back when he, he started, uh, I think, you know, um, Bush and, and, and those, uh, fellas were, were the, the target of the conspiracy theorists. Um, I okay. Anyway, so the biggest news, I think I would like to hit it up front, is the uh, passing away of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court mm-hmm. Justice. 
Um, I know you, you said you've done a little bit of just studying up on some of her, um, of her work as a Supreme Court justice. Uh, I read a bit of, about her history. Um, I, I was kind of just checking. I, I saw some, some posts from people that smelled funny to me as really painting this this woman as just like an absolute hero giving her credit for lots and lots of things but actually reading about it 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 does seem that um she you know a lot of what you hear about her in and this you know sort of women's rights is really before she was a supreme court justice um so she yeah. um was she with the ACLU or? Yeah, she was. Yeah, so she she wound up um, do, going, bringing a bunch of cases, and she, she, I guess she sort of developed an an interesting strategy. Like instead of attacking head on the idea of oh, men and women should have equal rights, <clears throat> she she thought that she it would be better to take you know individual smaller victories and sort of build on them, and mm-hmm. um, it was. It was actually pretty in, pretty interesting read. Um, <clears throat> I uh, some of the stuff was that people are claiming is like, for instance, you know, um, getting you know basically like a credit card, credit score, anything like that for women. Apparently, before this was somewhat more difficult, um, mm-hmm. and so she sort of cleared that out, which you know seems seems fine. I mean. <clears throat> Again, the the, uh, the anarchist, you know, sort of uh, view of this would be, you know, have the market figure it out and don't pass a bunch of laws. But it's obviously not how the su- Supreme Court is going to, to operate. Yeah. Any anything they do is going to be about about laws. So, um, you know, I I guess it's compared to most of 2020. I think that putting of all the people to put on a pedestal, you know, like she seems the most deserving that, that has kind of come and gone through this year. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I, uh, she seems like she's done some, so I'm sure she's done some, 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 uh, not so great stuff. I mean, maybe you want to yeah. go, go there with, uh, what, what you've been looking into. Yeah. I mean, she, you know, if, if you think that private businesses shouldn't be allowed to discriminate on the basis of sex, then like most of the work that she did is really great in that regard. Right. Uh, if you're the kind of person who thinks that, no, like we have freedom of association and that should be allowed, then you're not going to like basically anything she's ever done. Right. Uh, but I'll, I'll say this. So I'm going to put, two, I'm going to bring up two cases that I think, uh, you know, even if you're in favor that like private businesses shouldn't be allowed to like discriminate, that you'll you'll dislike her for so <laughs> the one and I'm kind of cribbing here from uh, Damon Root's uh, article he had at Reason.com but I, I knew these cases before he just refreshed my memory so the one is of course the Obamacare individual mandate which she came out very strenuously in favor of the the question here is can the government compel you to buy a product because it thinks it's better for the country in some way. Um, she thinks the answer is obviously yes. And mm. to me, that is just like 
it's so like, it, it's one thing to like regulate the action that someone's taking. But in this case, it was like really the first one that I can think of where it's like, you are forced to take <laughs> this specific action. Like you must buy this thing, not even from like the government. It's not like paying a tax and you get a service. This is like, you must buy this thing and you have to find a private entity who has an offering that you like and that meets all of our regulations. Mm. And it's like, um, well, obviously no libertarian is going to be for that. Uh, right. But, but <laughs> it, to me, it's, like, it's just like another brick in the wall of the list of things the government can compel you to do. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, I think, uh, so a friend of mine was over last night. He was talking about, about a lot of this stuff and um, he, he's a, he's a lawyer somewhat mm -hmm. freshly out of law school. So he remembers a bunch of this, his Supreme court studies. And um, mm -hmm. he, uh, he was saying that I, it, he was, he was sort of laughing and saying that because he used the example of sort of, of um, ruling and changing. Like, he's like, if there was some ruling on, oranges in some way and then you you kind of you you make a new ruling and you, you the only you because now you're talking about broccoli you sort of handle it completely different and you think that it's okay and he was saying that some of that happened but apparently this use of broccoli in like dissenting yes. opinions was like all the rage like apparently that's what everybody did <laughs> was they kept talking about what would you be okay if you were made to buy broccoli because of you know, the uh, farmers produced too much. And so now it's our civic duty and by law, by like the force of law, you have to, you're yeah. compelled to, to buy a, you know, pounds and pounds, hundreds of pounds of broccoli. So in the, I think it was uh, Elena, Elena Kagan's confirmation hearings was the first time I heard this being brought up. And she was asked, could the government pass a law requiring people to purchase broccoli? And she wouldn't answer because the answer to her is yes. <laughs> if, it served, if, if it served a political purpose that she was in favor of, the answer would be yes. And yeah. if it served a political purpose she wasn't in favor of, like you had to buy a gun, uh, the answer would be no. Right, uh, right. So, you know, it, these things become very malleable once you have the kind of expansive view of government authority that a lot of these judges do. Um, yeah. So – yeah, she it, said, "Well, that would be a really silly law." It's like, "Well, that's not what I'm asking you. It's I'm asking you if it's constitutional or not." Yeah, yeah. I mean, what if, what if you know, fifty percent of the farmers in the United States were going to go out of business unless you know mm -hmm. they had sold this surplus of broccoli? Then it seems less silly, and then she would probably be on board. Yeah, um, yeah, I, and uh, I. For the record, I do think that private businesses should be able to discriminate any way they want. Um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think a lot of what they, I think that there's so much discrimination, and and then there is just that that is just done constantly throughout everybody's day, you know, and they just sort of cherry pick certain ones and make mm -hmm. them, you know, make them like some huge deal that you know, is blown out of proportion. Um, but not, nonetheless, yeah, like a hundred percent, there should be, yeah. you know, you should be able to do whatever you want. I mean, uh, you shouldn't be compelled to sell anything to anybody or, or 
perform any service, you know, for anybody that that you don't want to. Um, I I think on that. Hmm? Go ahead. Oh, I just no, going to go say I, I think it's sort of similar to the way I feel with you know legalizing gay marriage. <clears throat> You know, for me personally, sure. Like, I, I think that two men, two women, whatever, a trans, you know, man, a gay woman and a, I don't know, something else should all be able to get married or I, whatever. Like, I don't care. I don't, I don't think that, that yeah. the government should be involved in it whatsoever. And most of my uh, issue with, you know, when this was, uh, you know, uh, in, in the news was just the, the strategy that, you know, that like you shouldn't, you know, we should be working to get rid of all this marriage licensing and, and, and get government out of, of this Mm -hmm. aspect of human life. And by, you know, sort of getting some new laws, some new legislation on the books that, you know, two men and, you know, or two women can get married. It's like, great, but now, you know, what, yeah, like, what if, two trans people want to get married. Is there some new law that has to get passed or, you know, why can't I don't, I mean, I can't imagine the like insano, you know, left would be opposed to three people getting a marriage together, you know? So but now you've got to start this fight all over again. And it's a fight that, you know, you're, you're going the wrong way. But all that being said, like, I do think that it's, it I guess it's like if I had to choose between the way it was before and after, I I would say that I mean it's better that gay people can get married in in my and just for me like personally, you know, but it it was the wrong way to go about it. And and I I think that's sort of my feeling. Uh, I've thought a heck of a lot less about anything Ruth Bader Ginsburg's ever done. <laughs> but right. it's sort of like that, you know, um, but whereas the Obamacare thing is just, you know, I don't like the outcome. I don't like the way they did it. I don't like anything about it. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not the lesser of two evils. I mean, I guess that's kind of what I'm saying is like, if only, you know, white people were allowed to get married and then a law was passed that black people were allowed to also get married, you know, while I think you should just strike down marriage licensing, I would still say, well, this is better than where we were, you know, like, yeah, or it's a lesser of two evils or something like, you know, so I don't know that. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm right with you. I could go on that topic, you know, for, for a while, but like the two cases I picked out here are, are going to be pretty like, yeah, she's going to have universal, uh, what's the opposite of a claim, uh, universal approbum for her, uh, decisions. <laughs> the second of which, so Playing off of your thing about like being forced to sell something is Kilo versus New London. Okay. Now this is the case that uh, really got me going about the courts. I'd say I think it happened when we were uh, early in grad school together. Mm. So Kilo versus New London is a case. This was so eminent domain is something a lot of listeners may or may not be familiar with. It's basically government wants to build historically something like a highway. Um, it would be extremely easy for a single individual to hold that out for some, say, unreasonable amount of money, and or it would be very hard for the government to route around, say, a single house. Uh, that's the argument. Libertarians could argue whether or not it's justified at all. Now, in, but in Kilo versus New London, there's a whole second layer of deliciousness on top. 
In this case, it was the government of New London, Connecticut, telling people that they were going to use eminent domain to force them to sell their house so that a uh, private, I think it was uh, a pharmaceutical company and a few other like developments could have the land. Mm -hmm. So it's basically taking property from one set of people and handing it over to the other on the basis that eminent domain can be used because the city's tax base is going to be improved if they mm -hmm. force you to sell your house and they can build a big, beautiful shopping center instead. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, this is like so opposite of like my normal conception of what property rights are mm -hmm. that like it's just like the idea that, oh, this is going to create more jobs or the government's going to get more tax. It's like you aren't supposed to be protecting my property rights because of what it gets you in terms of like jobs or tax base. Right. This how this house is mine. You're supposed to prevent people from trying to like kill me to take it from me. Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to be grabbing it up because you can hand it over to some crony person who's probably lining the pockets of the people on the town council anyway. Yeah. Oh, and uh, she, of course, came out in favor of that being uh, an okay use of eminent domain. And she says, she's, this is a direct quote, a, the critical fact on the city side, she told the Institute for Justice lawyer, Matt Bullock, uh, is that this was a depressed community and the government wanted to build it up to get more jobs. <laughs> so basically the government can say like, your area kind of sucks. Mm. So we want you to force you to sell the house. Yeah. It, you know, it's like, uh, you, you have this woman and just Supreme court justice in general. I, I, I mean, it seems like you're way out of bounds as far as anything they know about, because she's making, you know, economic claims and she yeah. is yeah. In no way an expert. I guarantee I know more than she did. You know, like I have a, a stronger oh, grasp on, on how economics works now. Sure. You want to know the kicker of the Kilo versus New London? I don't they, know. They lost. They seized all these people property. The development never got built. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's perfect. It's, that is just the perfect encapsulation of this. We're going to take your house. We're going to force you to move. And then... We're not even going to do the thing. Mm -hmm. um, now, I don't know whether this is because of protracted litigation. Or not. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But the point is, this was so not a slam dunk that by the time that whatever happened, happened, it wasn't a good idea to even build the place. Yeah. Um, I think there's a documentary, which I don't remember if I actually got to see it or not, but I heard was good. I think it was called Little Pink House uh, about this, uh, the whole saga. Let's see. Just log in real quick. Mm -hmm. Directed by, yes, Kilo. Yep, I think this is it. Little Pink House, 2017. Um, I think that was the. I think that was Kilo's house. The lady who owned that house, or something. I think that was her name. Yeah. And New London is, of course, New London, Connecticut. Suzette um, Kilo. <clears throat> yeah, and then. Uh, this is probably less interesting, at least to me, but I'll, I'll note it, is that uh, Ginsburg was not always like a left-wing uh, darling because she came out actually against Roe v. Wade on the grounds that it was improperly decided, mm. uh, that maybe you could get through like a, like a sex equality uh, case, but that the, the way that it was uh, pushed through like on this basis of uh, privacy 
uh, she didn't think was valid legal argumentation. And for many years, she was not liked for that reason on the left. I did read something about her uh, mm-hmm. kind of moving moving left uh, and, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure when it happened, but I think it even continued like during her time in the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. She even entered more, I guess, you know, centrist or something and, and gradually uh, moved more and more to the left. But yeah, yeah. that, that Kilo, um, you know, opinion is, is, is pretty crazy. And, you know, I mean, that's just, that's just like corporatist crap, you know? And yeah. it's, and they, I mean, that's, that's like fascism. Like you want to talk about actual fascism. That's <laughs> like the union of corporations and the state. That's what it is. Like, yeah, we have to, do this because it would be better for like the national economy. Come on, man. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, fascist. Fascist. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> we said sick Antifa on. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what. I guess. I guess the the candlelight vigils that they're holding. <laughs> That's uh, right. The non socially distanced candlelight vigils. Yet another uh, example of the left. I know. Like. Whatever, you know, we got, you know, everybody, you got to destroy the economy. We're going to ruin a bunch of of small businesses. You can't go to church. You can't go to school. You can't go to the gym. But we can do whatever the fuck we want. (laughs) Yeah, you can't have more than five or ten people at the funeral of your loved ones. Like, yeah, exact apples to apples comparison. So you and I are not important enough. If you or I died we couldn't have a proper funeral. Okay. This woman dies. Thousands of people can be out in the, out in the streets or having parties. Okay. It's just, it's whatever you can get away with. To some extent, we already live in anarchy. Uh, (laughs) It's just a matter of who can get away with what. Yeah. This, this kind of, this is something I've been, been uh, thinking about for a little while. And I I don't know that I want to really, open up the the can of worms but i've been thinking about this i i don't know you know like like i feel like no matter what uh but democracy sort of is necessary like i don't i don't mean necessarily in the idea of of like a codified voting system for for whatever but you know I guess I'm just questioning my slander of democracy as, you know, the mob majority, you know, the tyranny of the majority. But like, when are you not going to have that? You know, like the only way we would have this this sort of voluntarist utopia um, is if, you know, a pretty substantial majority of people bought into that idea. um, and, And then, you know, the people that, that didn't would sort of be subjugated to, to, to live with it. The, you know, the people that would just like, no, 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 we should, you know, take everything from the rich yeah. and give to the poor, you know? And, um, I, I don't know, just something I've been thinking about. Well, uh, I mean, recently. it does boil down to norms because, mm-hmm. you know, in the United States we could say, Oh, well, you know, we're protected, uh, from like the excesses of democracy through our constitution. And sure. To some extent, that's true, but the upholding of those constitutional principles depends on 
our courts for one thing, and just uh, and that in turn depends on the way people want to live. Now in the UK, they don't have a constitution. Parliament can do basically whatever it wants anytime it wants, mm. but they observe a lot of the same norms that we do. So they don't. I would say that they observe them less, but I'm not exactly clear that that's because we have a First Amendment and they don't. Mm -hmm. I think it's because we have a more robust, we have a culture here that wants to have more free speech than they do over there. And that's the real underlying reason that we do. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, back to the scheduled program. Um, Mm -hmm. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg she passes away and immediately the discussion goes to who is going to fill the vacancy. Are the Republicans and Donald Trump going to attempt to nominate and have a a candidate confirmed before the election or before, you know, if Donald Trump loses before he's out of office or are they going to actually wait? And I, I had I heard early early opinions and just I think it just happened to be people who hadn't you know sort of thought much or whatever in the in the beginning actually thought that they'd probably wait it just seemed like not enough time but the more and more now I almost hear everybody is assuming that the Republicans are going to to fill this vacancy Yeah I don't know I mean it they would need to get uh, some Republican senators on board, um, like uh, Susan Collins, for instance, who uh, might be reluctant to to force someone through if the public outcry was strong enough against it. Um, I, I just don't know. Like, I'm not that great at guessing these things, but I do know they would need to have like a pretty united front to get it through and quickly. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'd say they are it certainly seems like they're going to try. I guess that I think, is even the first question is, are they even going to take a swing at it? And it seems as though they are. I would be amazed if, if they didn't have, try. Yes. And if they're going to at least like send up some trial balloons to see like, if there is a real outcry or not, because like you have to do that now. Cause you can't, you can't know from like the, the journalism and Twitter and all this, cause these people are insane. Like they're not represent the way, like the average American thinks about this. So you got to figure out where they are on this. Is it going to hurt us in the election? Is it going to help us in the election? Like yeah. that's what they, that's what it's going to really boil down to. Yeah. Um, it's going to be Susan Collins and whether or not it's going to help them in the elections. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. And well, I mean, even if they have the same situation that happened before, then they'll still be able to have, would be able to have Pence cast the vote. You know the, okay. the, the the size, so it would be fifty fifty if three if mm-hmm. Romney, Collins, and then I think somebody from Alaska, okay, were the three. So they would really to 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 truly block it. I think they would actually need to get a fourth. And from what I understand, is people think that there's actually a chance that Collins would confirm mm-hmm. vote to confirm okay. because of her own election. So she's in a tightly oh, contested right. race. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's a lot of people that are going to have to do some focus groups and figure out, you know, <laughs> what uh, what's the best move. Because, I mean, at least, you know, in a really superficial sense, I could imagine 
it swinging either way for Trump, you know, part, yeah. like maybe if he says, no, I'll wait, maybe there's some centrist people that were just left of center that are, you know, would be sort of swayed by, by this, you know, moment of reasonableness or something. Um, but what does that do to, you know, your sort of larger base and a little bit of reading recently and, and listening to some past stuff I, that I, I, I wasn't aware of, but apparently his, his list, putting out that list of Supreme Court uh, candidates or people, you know, before, um, you know, the election came out, I, I forget when he did it, but it was probably like within a month or something of it. But apparently that was like a really big deal. And a lot of people think that pushed him over the edge because there was a chunk of the Republican base that, you know, still really doubted, probably rightfully so, his conversion from a Democrat to a Republican. Yeah. And, <laughs> and because his list, apparently, you know, I, this is, I just have to take people's words for it. Like I, I can't go through a list of, you know, circuit 11th circuit judge or whatever. And <laughs> I don't know anything about any of them, but apparently that list was very, was like quote unquote rock solid from the kind of, you know, staunch conservative Republican side okay. of things. So that uh, I think kind of maybe, and maybe got some of the never Trumpers, because that was such a huge deal. And for this exact reason, <clears throat> that now he has his third appointment yeah. to the Supreme Court. And so this was a massive election to win for the Republicans that even if they're faced with dwindling numbers and they're not really sure what they're going to do is, you know, more and more immigrants come in that generally are, are voting Democrat. The Republican base is somewhat, you know, nervous and locking in the Supreme Court have six out of the nine judges um, is is something that I think the you know the the conservative base feels pretty pretty good about. So you know, like sort of, hey, we can preserve America for another ten or twenty years before <laughs> yeah. where the commies completely take it over. Uh, now Biden could come in and pack the court with more more judges. Um, he's, he said explicitly that he wouldn't, but you know, what does that mean? Um, he, I, I mean, and I, and I guess a moment of reasonableness, reasonableness and, uh, co, uh, clarity for him. He <laughs> made a coherent statement about it. That was, he basically said, you know, it's a bad precedent <clears throat> because what happens when, you know, yeah, sure, we could do that and and sort of swing things in our favor. But what happens when, you know, the next time you have a Republican, you know, in office and a Republican Senate, then they can add more. And, you know, it's sort of just like a, a never ending cycle. Um, and I would assume it's a cycle that already began. I would assume in the beginning there weren't nine judges. There probably were less at some point. And, and now we're up to nine. Yeah, I don't remember when it went to nine, but I, I think that you're right that it, it hasn't always been that yeah. But if they put six, if it was six to three, he could bring two more in and it's still just six to five. Uh, mm. Now you have um, some of, I think two of them on DACA actually sort of went more with the liberal block. So they're not like these yeah. super intense, no. um, you know, conservatives or whatever, but you know, not, nonetheless. Uh, so yeah, it, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I guess, 
I guess if I had to make, you know, a, a, a bet on it, I would bet that they do get this, this seat filled um, mm. before, <laughs> at least before January. I don't know about before, yeah. you know, the election, because we are, I, it, it would be possibly the fastest comp by like a few, a, a, just a few days, but I think it would be like the fastest confirmation, um, you know, ever for a, a judge, a, a Supreme court justice. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so I- interesting, interesting stuff. Um, yeah, pretty crazy. I, I, I didn't expect this. And another thing too, is if Trump does win, uh, which is another interesting thing, the more, and I, I you know, when I'm in my real life, I talked to a good amount of, you know, left-leaning people and there seems to be a large amount of pessimism about Biden uh, amongst <laughs> amongst them. I mean, they most almost everybody I've asked said they think they they think Trump is going to win. Like they're they're not certain or anything, but they yeah. do not feel good about it. And if he does, I think the next sort of the the actually there's a I forget his name, um, but another member of the sort of liberal block that's actually older than Ginsburg is Mm. is there. And so now you have the clock counting on this this gentleman as well. Or I mean, he may just retire. I mean, that's another thing. Like people are like, oh, you know, Ginsburg's her last request was to, you know, just wait or whatever. And it's like, dude, this late, I mean, she's playing politics. Like she, she should have just retired. She was dying of pancreatic cancer. There's no way she was lied to for months. There's no way. Yeah. So it's like the idea, it's like the fact that she said that just makes it worse. Right. Like if I'm a cynical person, if I, if I was a Republican, which I'm not, but if I was like, I would just that would just make me more wanting to put someone in there as fast as possible, whoever. Yeah, and people citing like what Mitch McConnell said. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know if you saw. I actually tweeted about that. Replied to somebody. I was like, "Oh my god! Like, are you telling me a politician uh, <laughs> was a hypocrite?" Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh! It's like, wh- I mean, what do you expect? You, you know, I mean, it, it. I think you have this weird expectation that these people aren't like slimy. You know, they're definitely slimy. I will say that the Senate is the part of the government that has more adhered to norms than others. Like Mm -hmm. they have like this thing where you're always supposed to be very polite to each other. The filibuster has stayed around despite how inconvenient it's been to the majority for like several election cycles. Mm -hmm. Um, There is talk of, of course, of doing away with it completely. Um, But, you know, I. I, I do think that there is a possibility of some kind of bargain being struck here between uh, the Republicans and Democrats in the Senate, just like regardless of Trump. Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a possible outcome as well. Uh, of course, I think it would be the one that would probably be best for the country. Like the fact that these nine judges hold so much power is just terrible for us all. Yeah, uh, you know, let's let's give them, uh, you know some number of, of year terms and then stagger the elections or something like that. So each president gets to put two on and just be done with this. Yeah. From, from here on out, just be like, forget it, man. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I, I saw the, I read some of the, the Wikipedia link you shared when that, that person asked, you know, why are Supreme court yeah. justices in here uh, for life? Um, that, yeah, that, that was 
that was pretty interesting. Um, and I, I mean, that was after, that's all after the constitution was, I don't know, uh, signed. I don't know what you, what you say. No. So that those federalist papers were written to convince people to ratify the constitution. They've been operating under the articles of confederation. And this was, I can't remember, was Federalist, uh, what, no, I don't remember what number it was. Uh, like 78 or something, maybe? Federalist 78. So, yeah, then there was a, there was a collection of essays uh, put in, like, paper, newspapers and stuff, mm-hmm. the Federalists and Anti-Federalists. And Anti-Federalists said, no, we can't have this constitution. It gives too much power to the federal government. And the Federalists said, no, this is what we need because the Articles of Confederation are too weak. Yeah. Uh, and so I... If I recall, the date was 1788, where the Constitution is 1787. So is there something oh, okay. about Maybe when it's written and then where it's actually sort of agreed upon? Like, I, I don't know. Maybe there's you know, some maybe, long maybe, process. Maybe some of the Federalist Papers might have been published after ratification or something like that. Um, yeah. Maybe just to, to talk about some of the issues. I know a lot of them were before yeah. to, to convince people. But you're right, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I do see that date. At seventy-eight, that, that's a there's there was a lot before that too. So I don't know how how many they were churning out every in a in a week or a month, but uh, <laughs> yeah, if they were already on seventy-eight. I could imagine that you know they were just trying to tie up some loose ends, maybe at this point. Um, yeah, I I don't really uh, I I uh, the Constitution was ratified June twenty first, seventeen eighty eight. So what's and the night? What's was, 1787? They, what is the significance of that date? I don't the remember. First, like the first state that signed on, or something. I'm Maybe, sure yeah, yeah, that could be it. I got a nasty comment on one of my old YouTube videos about that. It's brutal to listen to me like figure stuff out on the fly. <laughs> it is. It is. I agree with them. <laughs> I know. I want. I, I haven't gone back and responded. I wanted to say you are you're harsh, but fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so it was anyway. created and presented in 1787, ratified in 88, and then effective okay. in March 1789. Okay. Anyway, so uh, so big big stuff there. And if Trump gets back in, if they, they actually wins. They may even be replacing another liberal-leaning Supreme Court justice with a conservative, which would put the count to seven to two. Uh, I mean, at that point, like, slavery's coming back, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll I'll remind people that some of the most uh, left-leaning members of the court were appointed by uh, Reagan, I think, so. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, we'll see. Right. I mean, and Trump in his second term where he doesn't care about election anymore, who Uh, knows what he would do? You know, this may be the last, maybe this is the last conservative one that would get on there. Um, And if Mm. they wait, he might wind up appointing, you know, left leaning one. So um, trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to say about this whole um, Ginsburg thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, I guess that's it. You know, keep, no, keep your it. eye out, and uh, you know, we'll see who they who they put up there. But I would say that that seems assured that they're 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 going to attempt to do this, and it, 
I, unless there's some other senator that's going to, you know, sort of flip or something that we don't know about, it, I'm not sure how much they can really block it. Um, here, here I, here's one thing I actually uh, I haven't been sure about. I'm not sure if you know. So, for instance, like the Kavanaugh thing and all of the hearings and everything, and and you know, it it also happened with with Clarence Thomas, where it gets really drug out. Mm-hmm. Now, Mitch McConnell could choose to bring this to the Senate. This is this is my understanding. It's sort of a question, but. He could choose to bring the next nomination to the Senate immediately, basically, if he wanted to, even if Democrats or or whomever was saying, hey, you know, we found out that, the, you know, they're they're you know, we, we've got some some um, evidence that, you know, this woman was, you know, part of a drug cartel or something. And yeah. we, we want to investigate. It's it's. It, don't know that they have any way to actually stop it. I think that the Mitch McConnell would be more weighing, do I think I can get this through or do I need to like humor them and go through this? Um, I, I think that that's sort of what it is. It's like, sure, you can go anytime you want um, and bring this to you know the floor and bring it to a vote. But if there's really big questions like the Clarence Thomas stuff or you know Kavanaugh got real crazy, um, you that you're you're probably hurting your chances of of getting through. Whereas if you just let this play out, so we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I think it's something like that because I, I at least my understanding is like it could go through pretty quickly. Um, but I, okay. you know, I would think that at that point though, it it would make sense, like because you got to think like somebody like Rand Paul, you know, I mean, if if he has legitimate reasons that he may think that something's something's fishy about this person's past or whatever i mean these aren't just like randos off the street right they're they're in the like next court below um yeah i think you know or one of the next courts below and uh but you know nonetheless i mean i could see somebody like him you know people that are, are more principled you know in in uh in the senate being like well, you know, I'm going to vote no unless we, you know, actually, you know, go through this. And so, uh, and I think, um, I think Trump's going to appoint is, a woman. After Kavanaugh, what is the next person going to be accused of? Because it's going to be a woman. The, so they, okay. And I don't think the Dems are, are, are going to pull a rape victim out of, yeah. the, out of the woodwork. <laughs> But who knows? I, I I don't I don't know. But I think that's how you get around it. It seems like he has some some pretty strong women candidates on the list, and okay. that would be something that would you know make it pretty difficult, uh, at least to some throw a little water on the Democrat fire. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we saw how they treated um, what's her name in the uh, in the the debates, the only anti-war Democrat. Uh, yeah, Tulsi. Tulsi, right. I mean, they were they were brutal, brutal yeah. to her. She's a woman of color, too. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. I mean, she's a minority's minority. Uh, but anyway, so so that's that's that. Let's let's move on to uh uh pre-crime. Okay. So I I came across this article. I actually don't remember uh how I did or where where I saw it, but um I came across it on the internet and it is a about a Pasco County Sheriff, Chris Noko, 
who took office in 2011, and he had a plan for create a quote-unquote cutting-edge intelligence program that could stop crime before it happened. And I think what it really turned out to, it just was, and I, I don't know, because I know that you, you've done some looking into this uh, a bit more, but it sounds like he basically just had a list of, you know, arrest histories and just went and harassed the people that had a history of crime and and kind of tried to make it really uncomfortable for them and and write up citations for anything they could. That, so, yeah, that is, in my opinion, what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. Now, there's, the, the, the articles are kind of one-sided because the Sheriff's Department, you know, didn't want to really talk to these, these journalists. It was clear where they were coming from. Mm-hmm. But I could give you, like, the, the devil's advocate version of this. Not to defend it, but I could tell you what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the basic idea here is uh, you got, this is like a pretty big operation. You got 30 people uh, with the $3 million budget. And they look at police reports, property records, Facebook pages, bank statements, and photos um, to try to give people like basically a point score. Mm-hmm. This point score is supposed to represent how much of a threat they are to commit a crime. And then based on this, we're going to go ahead and check in on them. And then we're going to also check in on their family members or friends. Yeah. And so, so to me, this is like there is this shell around it, which is like, you know, what? If if, a, if cops want to prevent crime, they might drive around a neighborhood a bunch, like show a presence. Like there mm-hmm. is a spectrum of things that goes from that to like figuring out who what people are the most likely to offend. Mm-hmm. And there's good police work somewhere in that spectrum. These guys have gone off the deep end at the far end of this because yeah. what they're ultimately doing is not trying to prevent people from committing crimes, but trying to make people's lives so miserable by knocking on their door late at night, early in the morning, sitting outside their house and issuing citations for the height of their grass that the people just want to move out of the county. And then it's someone else's problem. Like, that isn't policing. Yeah. that Yeah, that's harassing people until they move out. And I believe this is Tampa Bay. I know it's the Tampa Bay Times. I don't know if it was the actual city or if it was just a city around Tampa Bay. Well, it's, it's Pasco, which is, I think, a county. Uh, oh, right. It's in, a sheriff. in Florida. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I guess that's um, Tampa Bay. I don't know. So, so, so ultimately, like, there's a version of this program, which is fine, but I still think that it's misguided. And here's the reason why. Let's say that I told you I had a program that would tell me whether or not person B is like 100% more likely to commit a crime than person A. Would that justify uh, having the police like keep a really close eye on them, like get right up to the edge of like a Fourth Amendment violation on them? The answer is probably no, because the average person is not very likely to commit a crime. It's the basic error that occurs like in this and in so many other fields between like a relative risk and like an overall risk. You would still probably be wasting a ton of money and effort if instead of like investigating or trying to solve outstanding crimes, you were looking in on people who might commit one Mm. because there are a lot of those people in the second group. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, right. Like if a hundred percent is going from you know zero point zero one to zero point zero two percent, likely it's really not. You know, it's still probably not going to be a good use of your resources. Mm -hmm. Now, it is the case that like a very small number of people commit crimes. And these people tend to commit crimes over and over and over again. That is true. Mm -hmm. But the police made no effort to show that their program was efficacious here. So, like, there's no system where no one ever gets harassed and every crime gets solved. Like, that isn't a thing. So they would go a long way towards defending themselves, at least among certain subset of people who have maybe less respect for individual liberties than you and I if they could show it was effective, but they failed to do that utterly. Yeah. They, they claim that there's some drop in property crime. And I, and the crazy thing is, um, I'm trying to see, I mean, this is September 3rd. I mean, this is, this is happening now. We're, we're not, you know, sort of saying, Oh man, you know, somebody did this documentary about this crazy program that was in Mm -hmm. Pasco County. It's no, this is, how it's happening right now they they are continuing to do this they here's a the sheriff's office said its program was designed to reduce a bias in policing by using objective data and it provides statistics to show a decline in burglaries larcenies and auto thefts since the program began in 2011 a reduction in this is a quote from i guess the sheriff's office This reduction in property crime has a direct positive impact on the lives of citizens of Pasco County and for that, we will not apologize. <laughs> yeah. So we the, make your life better. <laughs> yeah. So what the article said, though, and this is the problem. It's like I don't, I don't think that I believe that the reporters have done it. So the reporters didn't do their job either here. They claim in the article that these drops are comparable to surrounding counties that don't have problems like this. Mm-hmm. But there's no graphs in the, in the article. There's no data shown. Yeah. And do I trust them to have, like, equitably, like, done a fair comparison? No. No. Yeah. And, and like the police department shouldn't be saying like, we see this overall drop in property crime. They should be saying like, we are making more arrests for things that actually happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Because so if it is really like a pre-crime program, then you could say, yeah, we didn't make any arrests, but we harassed these people into being scared to commit crime into order leaving. You still haven't shown that it's worth it in that case, because how many people are you like harassing or driving into poverty through these like excessive fines mm-hmm. to prevent one car from being stolen? Yeah. Yeah. And, you're ta- and cause you're yeah. literally targeting innocent people. The people haven't done anything. Like yeah. that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, and, and like to say that you're, you know, okay. And now a bunch of, you know, sort of poor people that we've made even poorer, have moved yeah. out of the county and then you claim that that's some victory it's like well i mean it's not like i don't give a shit about pasco county you know like i i i uh you know i'm looking at at people as a whole like it, it's sort of the same thing as like people not caring about people in the middle east or whatever it's like no like this it still counts like libertarians we still believe these people deserve you know to to you know they have all the same rights, regardless of if they're in Pasco County or not, and they're they're still yeah. valued. And it's like, yeah, so okay, so where are they going? I mean, they're just going into some other county. Like, even if yeah. you were successfully right. doing right. this, they're just gonna go somewhere else. And now you're just like, oh well, it's somebody, you know, somebody else's problem. And 
And I mean, I would assume that activity like this could actually lead to some poor behavior on the side of the citizens, you know? It's not a... Um, well, I mean, that's what... In the article, they have, like, a list of, like, people who didn't have any records, but they get so... that the police come and, like, come and come and come, and eventually there is a confrontation. And the, the cop says, it's like one, like, 56-year-old lady, she tried to hit me with a vase. It's like, well, you know... She says that didn't happen. You say it did, but you're you're cre- every time the police go to someone, there is the opportunity for things to go horribly wrong, mm-hmm. and you are creating more of these situations by having all of these extra interactions with these people, and that isn't like a zero cost thing. Eventually, someone's going to get seriously hurt. Yeah, they had so. Did you go to the Tampa Bay Times uh, actual article or were you reading the, the yeah. Yahoo one I sent? Yeah. No, the much longer Tampa yeah, Bay Times. Yeah. I read that one. Yeah. Did you actually look at their, uh, the, the attached, like the, uh, the prolific offender calculation stuff? No, I, did, I didn't oh see my that. God. Yeah. They, they actually have an attached PDF of how this thing is scored. Okay. Five points for oh, a violent I see crime, yes. four points. Yeah. For arrest or a big four arrest and three points for big four arrests, one point for all their offenses. Uh, these are enhancements. So anyway, um, yeah, it, it it's uh, you you have to be a little suspect, I would think. You know, as you're saying about the Tampa Bay Times with you know not showing the data. I mean, I guess it's like well, we expect the police to be you know they don't they don't care they don't really need to you know that that's the problem they are they are the mob right they're they're in power they don't really need to show graphs they just say it's better and that's it and like if you don't like it well you can get shot in the face or you can leave (laughs) uh but tampa bay times you know certainly given this current environment you know, with super anti-police, you you have to be a, a little bit skeptical. Um, I will say though, it's really it's you could, te- but the thing is, they have a big enough area that they could actually test this. Like, yeah. if, if there was one goddamn scientist in that department, <laughs> all you got to do is make like a random controlled trial. You take half of the people, you put them in this this crime moneyball program, <laughs> and you see if you're actually preventing those people from committing crimes. Right. by following up because you can't arrest people for crimes they didn't commit like that is known like it isn't like that movie minority report yeah so what you're asserting here is that by checking up on these people you're keeping them from committing crimes in the future this is a thing that is completely testable with a large enough population of people Mm -hmm. they could have already done it you don't need to point to something oh like overall drop in property crime which can be varying all the time you make the randomized control trial and you run it. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the idea of the money ball analogy. It's pretty good. Pretty I didn't good. make that up. They said it in the article. Oh, uh, yeah. okay. Well, <laughs> great job anyway. Yeah. <laughs> great job actually reading it all. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I will say, though, that despite all the kind of, you know, anti- police rhetoric which you know in general i'm 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 all for um yeah. for the most part but i've been very 
it's been super weird lately and, and so politicized and, and it's like, it's always sort of wrapped up in a, a bunch of other terrible stuff that I can't get behind. Um, this one didn't really set off, you know, my spidey senses too much. This, this seemed pretty much, you know, they, I, I don't know if they even ever got this. This seemed like an article that could have been written, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago. I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't know that they even really specified like do they ever mention you know race or you know whatever being you know this be, having some issue with it they you do know, mention one just one part so part of the scoring is a uh, number of uh police interaction or number of times you're like a suspect or arrested mm. and the most solid uh evidence that I've seen that actually like holds up to some degree of scrutiny is that minorities tend to have more police interactions Mm. and, or, uh, like arrests. Uh, so if you create a system, which is based on like a metric that doesn't include actual convictions, then your system can be, have like a feedback effect in it where uh, a person becomes, you know, uh, on this list initially because they have like one or two extra police interactions. And that was maybe because of some racial animus and that feeds forward into more interactions and a higher score. And it feeds on back on itself. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. But it's not like a really, it wasn't a strong point in the article. So. Yeah. Uh, they, they actually gave some of the statistics for the County versus people on the list. And it wasn't like completely out of line. So I don't think that's the major concern here. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. I, um, that, you know, at least I, I didn't get through the whole thing. Um, but I, I I didn't run into anything that, that, you know, at least was problematic in in that one sort of direction. So that's nice. I mean, I, I feel like they get some points from me, uh, just for managing to write an article without having to virtue signal, you know, all the way through it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's it's a an, an interesting. I mean, and they mentioned some other, you know, some other places where this is kind of maybe come and gone. There's a lot of outcry, and that they're they're sort of pushing through. And I mean, yeah, it just seems like a little more codified harassment. You know, I I mean, to me too, it's just another example of like what the libertarians are saying. We have too many laws. Yeah. And it's it's a reality that if they put their eye on you, they're gonna find something. Yeah. And you can just be fined and fined and have to show up to court and they're knocking on your door. It's like almost anyone is going to slip up under that level of scrutiny. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I I mean, and I, I'm even somebody that you know, when you look at you know, the police interaction stuff. I have a, you know, I, I have a really tough time not believing that in some way it's a response to the, you know, humongously disproportional amount of violent crimes committed by, I mean, African-Americans. I, I, it's not really minorities in general, you know, like Asian people mm-hmm. aren't, right. you know, really. And, and I don't even um, uh, may, maybe Hispanics are, I, I actually not even sure if, if like Hispanics are committing more violent crimes on average than, than, uh, 
Caucasians. But, you know, I, I just, I don't know, you know, I, I have a tough time thinking that, you know, that, that the real issue is figuring out why, you know, um, the homicide rate is so much higher you know, for African-Americans. And, and, and I think we start there. Um, I was thinking, I I may have made this point before. Um, I'm kind of going a little bit on this tangent, but, um, I, I also think that it's, you know, like nobody wonders why men are killed disproportionately more by police than women. Right. Like, that's like, it's Mm -hmm. obvious. So, yeah. I mean, and when, you know, it's, uh, you know, what, however you want to say it, um, somebody may choose different words, but it's obvious, right? You know, uh, and it really comes down to men commit disproportionately more murder, right? Like, and, and then a whole lot mm-hmm. of other crimes too. But I mean, I feel it's is that in general, I mean, you know, a police officer comes up to a car late at night and, you know, pulled over and there's a man in the front seat. He's going to be more, you know, more alert than if it's a female. It just, yeah, just is what it is. You know what I mean? And like when, when you see that the statistics are so, you know, disproportionately, you know, towards African-Americans committing, you know, more homicides in the United States, it, I mean, it, it just seems like, and all, all I'm saying it's is like, I, I, it, it, like, it just seems like human nature to some extent, you know, like, I don't think that it's racism doesn't need, like, to me, like, that's, you're not explaining what's happening there. Like, I can explain it without racism, you know, like. But here's the thing, Pat. So, like, the the, the policeman who is extra nervous because he uh, approaches a car that has a black guy in it is making the mistake I mentioned earlier. He's confounding like absolute risk with like a relative risk. Maybe it is the case that the relative risk is higher, but the overall risk is probably still quite low. And by torquing himself up, he is the one creating a dangerous situation where the guy's reaching for his wallet, but he all of a sudden thinks it's a gun. He right, needs to, right. He needs to realize. He needs. He needs to realize. What is the actual level of risk here? Is my response like disproportionate relative to that? Mm-hmm. Not whether I am justified in being more nervous in situation A versus situation B. Mm-hmm. Because it's probably you should not be very nervous in either of those situations. I understand these things happen. I saw like a horrific police shooting video like just the other day. Yeah, yeah. But but this is, it is part of the job and it, you have to do it without like going off the deep end and it's a hard job. It absolutely is a hard job, but you, you, you got to keep, you got to keep the risks in perspective if you're yeah. going to do it well. Yes. I, I mean, I do think that, you know, there is something to what you're saying, but then you get to the question of, well, how many unarmed black, you know, men are shot? by police. Sure. A police kill a thousand people a year. That's like Mm -hmm. roughly the number, but how many of those are like literal gunfights? You know what I mean? You got to like throw all of the right. So all that's out the window. And so I would, I would say that 
probably most of the time people are keeping it under control and very rarely, yeah. very rarely, you know, and to make it this massive thing when, you know, that I agree with this. Well, yes, I don't, I think given the number of police interactions and the amount of crime that we have, the number of people who are killed like completely unfairly and were unarmed is probably about where you'd expect it to be. Yeah. Um, I, and I don't know that, that I would say there was any like set of things, A, B, or C, that would like definitely reduce that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but, I mean, also, that's though, of- I mean, I got to tell you, you know, like when I am thinking about my security, my personal life, like I'm looking at every single person when I'm walking down the street and assessing the risk. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just what I do. And and the neighborhood I live in, you know, you I, I'm telling you, it, it matters where you are, too. Like that. That's another thing. It's like they're not it that you have to put it in the context of the neighborhood. Like I don't live in yeah. the greatest part of Atlanta and I live sort of also surrounded by <laughs> worse parts. Uh, um, well, I'm actually in, in more in the Decatur uh, area, but. You know, when I'm my my buddy moved out in some, you know, suburb area and it's like super night, you know, and it's like I would be less nervous walking around with a sweatshirt with, you know, clothes pinned hundred dollar bills covering it in his neighborhood than me walking around in my neighborhood with, you know, just dressed normally like it's just the difference of it. Like people, you know, people talk shit. People, you know, harass, and and yeah, maybe that's just all it is, right? Maybe they're just messing with you, but like that's still an escalation, and like you know, I mean, that's the, you know, oh, that's of course the, you have to take like that the boy, you know, and, absolutely. And once I'm there, you know what I mean? Like no matter what, like sure, I'm probably never going to be in a situation where I'm going to shoot somebody, you know, but I am at least like one step further down that path at every like moment in my neighborhood, you know, because I'm already on alert in a certain way. And I like, I don't think I'm wrong. You know, I mean, I hear people literally, I, you know, I smoke a cigar every night in my house last night, three separate times I heard gunfire. Yeah. And they could just that's audibly hear good. it, you know? And that's just, you know, it's Atlanta. And I, you know, I don't, they're not great shots. They're not killing people every day. I think there's something <laughs> like 80, 80 murders or something a year in Atlanta. So, mm. you know, every, every four days or so, five days. It might be more than that. It might be more than that. But anyway, it's a, a digression. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm just saying like, like, I feel like when I tried to put myself in, in a police officer's shoes and I was really, there was one recently, the one, there was a body cam footage and they're sort of running around. It looked like they're in projects. I forget what city. Um, and then where the, the, the kid kind of comes around with the gun in his hand and they shoot him. And Mm -hmm. people were saying, Oh, he was throwing the gun away. Like, just, just watch that like body cam footage from start to end like gets intense like this cop yeah. is alone and yeah. there's a sh- there mu- i guess there was some shootings because this kid's running around with a gun and the police were called um man it's intense it's like i just i don't know i i don't i think that a lot of people are 
you know, expecting. I'm not a, talking about those situations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's people super, have unreasonable right. expectations. Yeah. Yeah. But like but those people are the minority. That's yeah. and that's why like the protests have become so unpopular. Yeah. Also, um, you think about this too with police, and I don't know what the answer is to this, but they they see a disproportionate ab- amount of the most awful shit that happens in these awful cities every day, you know? Yeah. I mean, they, uh, you know, I mean, just think about that. Like every, you know, I basically hear gunshots every night. Mm-hmm. Well, what are the, you know, are the police going there then? And like having to deal with this, like how, how often in a week is a cop really in some sort of violent situation? Obviously, it depends on, you know, city to city and everything. I, and I don't know. Is it once a week? Is it once a month? Is it multiple times a week? But, I mean, that, like, I, I don't know if it's PTSD or something. But, I mean, that, that's, that's got to be warping their perspective. But I, I really don't know what else to do besides start to cycle people through. Like, you can only be a cop for a couple years at a time. And we all have to take turns being police or something like that because <laughs> – you're just going to get too jaded because uh, right. you just keep seeing the worst of the worst. But I think you'll say, well, they're not people don't have experience who are out there. You know, it's like there's no there's yeah. no easy solution yeah. here. Yeah, right. Like, I don't want to be a cop. So I don't yeah. like that yeah. idea. <laughs> and I don't think you want me to be a cop either yeah. in my neighborhood. So uh, anyway, so I what though the other thing I wanted to just mention and, and this came out, I, I don't know, even, even maybe a couple weeks ago. I don't believe I brought it up once yet, but in nine days, September 29th, there is going to be a debate between Trump and Biden. Um, So is this going to be in person? Uh, Case Western University. Yep. Participant. Yep. So there's three debates. Oh, God. I I am cringing just thinking about about this. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, Kamala Harris and Mike Pence will be debating this October seventh. So September 29th, October fifteenth, October twenty second are presidential debates between Biden and Trump. And I, you know, may you know like. Like you said about yourself, I, I am not a, a great prognosticator, but I just do not see this going well for um, Biden. I, I I don't see how he's going to hold up. I I think he did okay by you know by his like where the bar is set now. I think Biden did fine in the Democrat debates. I mean, I, I don't recall thinking, oh, this guy has dementia, you know, yeah. but. I think it's maybe quite possible he's sort of just, you know, fallen off a cliff with it since then. I would, I think that, well, I mean, it's like a five times more intense because it'll just be one-on-one for the whole time <laughs> here. So now he gets a lot of time on those other debates, but yeah, it's... Uh, and Trump's, I, Trump's I pretty mean. One, like, yeah, exactly. He could really set people off. He's, you know, he's good at insulting people. Um, you know, Biden's been around the block, so I don't, right. I don't think that, I think that he'll, he's probably going to do a lot of prep, but, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, people are very polarized. They probably already know who they like. On the other hand, I could see this, 
these debates being something that really moves the needle. Mm. Um, it's hard for me to see it moving a lot in Biden's direction. He seems like he has a lot to lose, but not a lot to gain. Yeah. And that seems to be the vibe that all of the Democrats have been giving us, right? Um, yeah. Wasn't uh, Pelosi saying he shouldn't debate? Um, and I don't know who else weighed yeah. in on this, but, you know. Um, I thought there was a chance they just weren't going to, to be honest. Because yeah. when I heard that stuff, I said, this is not like a random comment. This is like them testing the waters to mm -hmm. see if it's something that the public would tolerate. Yeah. Well, I'm glad they are. I'm glad they're they're going to debate because I I think I mean as much as I think all this is a sham and whatever uh I would like to know that the president of the United States can at least participate in something like this and mm -hmm. keep his shit together for an hour or two or however long this is. Yeah. You know um, and I, and it's going to be, I guess it's going to be live in person, you know, it looks like, you know, these are going to be real debates. Um, yeah, yeah but you know, I, I've seen a lot of clips and stuff of Biden, which I, you know, often are cherry picked. So, uh, yeah, I, I get, I'm sure you can cherry pick some Trump stuff. Um, but you know, the night of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death, he did a brief, he just basically put out a statement, like a two minute thing. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, just he fumbled through it, trailed off. He looks, looked terrible. And, <laughs> and then at the end of it, he like had this weird, awkward apology. Um, for having to learn it on the plane it, it was like really i mean i honestly like i legit i legitimately felt bad like i look at this person as partially responsible for a continued genocide in the middle east and i felt mm. i still felt bad but i feel like that's what separates you know him from myself is i you know i have actual <laughs> human feelings and no matter how awful like, I think that, that uh, the things, you know, his sins, um, I felt, I felt really sad. Like it just, it just was like a total bummer looking at this person, just, uh, just a, like a shell of a, a person and, you know, barely, you know, he can't, it, it's like, you don't, he, it's like, you don't know anything good off the cuff to say about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean, Trump did. You yeah, know? I know. Trump's able yeah. to just talk about anybody with. I mean, I, I would, you know, I feel like I would. I barely know anything about her. Uh, I could have just skimmed through a Wikipedia page and then walked up and been like, yeah, you know, she did a lot of women's rights and blah blah blah. And you know, she was she was great. She had a cool relationship with Scalia, even though right. they were, you know, uh, ideologically opposed. They, you know, had a great relationship, and I think that that was, you know, a real set a real great example for the country. Blah blah blah. Say whatever, fuck you. You know, this dude can't do that, and I just don't see. I don't know how he's gonna stand up to Trump. I mean, Trump's Trump's gonna clown him. When he starts stumbling on his words, Trump's mm. going to be like a middle school bully. Yeah, I, I would think so. <laughs> it's going to be fucked up. <laughs> That's my Wouldn't prediction. 
it's gonna be. I wish Joe Jorgensen could be there so they could yeah. everyone could see that these guys are both really old clowns. Yeah. One that can't talk, and one that should keep his damn mouth shut. Right. And then just be like, you could have this person whose ideas may seem a little scary to you, but is generally reasonable and yeah. not doesn't seem like she's off her meds. So. You know, there is uh, one one thing I'll say about about this is kind of funny because because we had Rand Paul on stage with Trump, and yeah. I mean, and he got you know eviscerated just like everybody else when he tried yeah. to when he tried to buck up. He said exactly what you're saying. Everything he said made sense. It was like yeah. the perfect response. Trump was totally wrong. Like I forget what it yeah. was, but he was like literally just was. Like he was totally wrong, and it was just obvious. Like, like yeah. you know, Rand just slammed his head on the table, and Trump just was <laughs> like, "Don't you have like one percent of the vote?" And that was it. It's like yeah. he just cut Rand's nuts off, and it was over. Like Rand couldn't, you know what I mean? Like you gotta it's have. All big, yeah, <laughs> it's a big status game, and that's the thing is, there's a set of insults that works, and he's good at them. And that's what 90% of the people care about. Oh, my and, God. Uh, that's why it's no hope. Right. Good night, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Give up now. So, all right. Well, I think that's a, a really great place to end unless you've got yeah. anything you want to add. No, I don't know no. about the debates. I, I'll i probably – I'm going to tune into the first one, but that, I, that might be it depending on how it goes. I don't know that I'm – you know, like I can just, usually watch them for about 10 minutes at a time and then I just have to turn away and I can come back like another half hour from then and be like, OK, I can do it. I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I did watch two of his speeches, though. And um, okay. honestly, you know, remember, I think we had talked about him, the one in Tulsa and then the one on July 3rd and at Mount Rushmore. And they were um, they were actually they they were fine. I he was he was very entertaining in Tulsa, and um, he was a lot more serious at Mount Rushmore. Um, and I thought it was very interesting to see him go from like one side, you know, be able to like be that different. Um, so I think like that should also just scare Biden. It was like apparently, you know, yeah. Trump's pretty dynamic. Like he can get pretty serious and and mm -hmm. and stern and really stay on, you know, on, on, um, you know, on point with the, the topic or what, you know, whatever. And, but, and he can also just totally freestyle and be basically do a comedy routine that is actually pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, cool, cool, cool. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for coming out, Adam. Um, if you, Man, and this is this is another thing. Every time I think of this at the end, and I gotta start saying this stuff at the beginning, but you can find <laughs> me on Twitter, <laughs> Patrick J. Bradley. You can find Adam on Twitter, Adam V. Steele, and that's S-T-E-E-L-E. -E. Yep. Yeah. Adam spelled the normal way. Um, and I uh so definitely subscribe on YouTube. Look for No Hope the Podcast. Uh, there's now some exclusive video content up there, tasty stuff. I haven't gotten back on the D live yet, but I have this sort of live streaming thing that that's, that's the next thing I want to do. Um, and actually live streaming is kind of easier because 
you're just beaming it directly to the servers and you don't have to like do all this sort of post-processing. It's just kind of like, well, it is what it is. And and uh, so it's a lot faster. <laughs> it's like literally the amount of time that, you know, it takes for the episode yeah, is how much yeah. time you spend. So, um, yeah. So, so keep a lookout. Facebook, I've, I actually was not yet still able to change the name. So Facebook, we're still whistling in the dark. Um, podcast, but I, I I don't know. It just kept erroring out anytime I tried to change the name. Um, but it looks like you should be able to. So um, I will be changing that eventually. It's only uh, one of the biggest companies in the world. Had what do you want? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't really get what was going on there, but um, I think they feel like, bro, you changed it once. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> now you're going back. It's not. It's not going to work out better. You know, if you didn't like it the first time, but. F Facebook. Uh, Cool. All right. Well, that's our show. Uh, We will talk to you um, next week. Bye-bye.